1: some carriers give you so little for your older, busted phone, you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. (laughs) Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better costs less than you think.
3: It's Wednesday, December 8th. I'm Ray Baker holding it down while Roland is on vacation. Here's what's coming up on Roland Martin unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Emotional testimony in Minnesota. Dante Wright's mother tells the jury what she heard while on the phone with her son the day Kimberly Potter killed him. Journalist Georgia Ford will have a live report from Brooklyn Center. And the Maryland General Assembly voted to revoke the governor's ability to reject parole board recommendations. We'll talk to the Subcommittee on Criminal Justice chair from the Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland to find out why they moved to take the governor out of the process. Plus, hundreds march to freedom here in Washington, D.C., for voting rights. And Congress moves forward with a plan to raise the debt ceiling with only Democratic votes. We'll explain how that was made possible. And we'll tell you about a resolution to remove Representative Lauren Boebert from House committees over her anti-Muslim comments. The one and only Big Tigger will tell us how the Funny Money College Tour is helping students in need. And in our Tech Talk segment sponsored by Verizon, we'll tell you how you can donate to HBCUs with your spare change. And we are in the middle of the holiday season. And a lot of us are dealing with the blues, and no, I don't mean Sigmas. Licensed professional counselor Robin May will give us tips on surviving those holiday blues. Y'all know what time it is. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered streaming live on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it.
1: Whatever the miss he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the spook the fact.
3: Governor's powers has been revoked because he will no longer decide whether inmates serving life sentence will be released on parole. Now, Maryland lawmakers voted to override Governor Larry Hogan's veto on a bill removing the governor from the parole process. The unofficial vote tally in the House was 92-46 to and a 31-16 margin in the state Senate. Deborah Davis, chair of the Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland, subcommittee on criminal justice, joins us now from Annapolis. Delegate Davis, thank you so much for joining us here on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Thank you for having me. So why was it so important to come back? And if I'm not mistaken, this was an override of the governor's veto. Why was it so important to come back and do that? Well, you know, Maryland has a problem. Maryland
5: incarcerates more Black and brown people than any place else in the nation. So it's important that we ensure equity at every level of criminal review, including the
3: parole process. So what was it that made the, particularly the Legislative Black Caucus want to tend to this beyond just uh, incarcerating so many black and brown people? Because black and brown folks, to be honest, Delegate, are incarcerated all across the country. Why come back and attend to this particularly?
5: Well, this particularly, in so many situations, when someone pleads guilty to a, to a, a certain crime, to, um, to a murder case or to a, a felony case... They make a deal with the judge and with the prosecutors, and everyone agrees that this person is entitled to um, to parole There is life with parole there's life without parole and if you have life with parole you 've made a deal with the government with everybody involved that you 'd be eligible and the idea that you would go through the entire parole process and have one person, the government, the governor, who can politicize his decision you know it takes the politics out of this for that person to single-handedly overrule it is not fair.
3: And so what was the government's governor, excuse me, what was Governor Larry Hogan's argument for keeping him as a little bit of the final arbiter in that place? And the reason I ask is because I'm imagining other legislators across the state, the United States, who may want to enact similar legislation, may want to anticipate what their executive might do to try to block such a legislation. So what was Governor Hogan's suggestion or reason for why he should be included in the parole decision making? There are only two other
5: states in the union who still have the governor as final arbiter regarding parole. Right? That's the, that's the first thing. Um, I, the, well, the governor says that he's been fair. He's been more fair than other people. Um, I don't think that's enough. Um, I think the idea that he can politicize it, he can say, I'm tough on crime and I'm not going to let anybody out, from one governor to the next, it changes.
3: Yeah, we do know that Governor Larry Hogan and some theorize that he may be interested in a Senate run or a president run had recently told about went on a campaign to refund the police and is trying to frame himself as someone who is particularly uh, tough on crime. What do you say to those citizens who might support tough on crime policies, those citizens that say, well, we need to do more to ensure that people stay caged rather than giving them second or third chances at opportunities at life?
5: Well, you know, um, if you listen to the—if you listen to the hearing on the floor, there were some extreme examples, but that's not what's happening. Those extreme examples—people are not—people are not killing people and just walking the streets. That is not happening. And what citizens deserve—even if you're convicted of a crime, you deserve um, some—a right to have the government keep their side of the, the bargain.
3: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Was there any type of internal disagreement or disdain among the legislative black caucus? Because we know black elected officials are not a monolith. You 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 um you can bet on that. Well, you know, there were um there
5: were some concerns about the length of um the the length of time that you'd have to serve before you were able to ask for parole. We extended that. We extended that from 15 to 20 years. So you cannot If you have um, been given life with parole, you cannot even request it until after 20 years.
3: Now, Delegate, why why the extension, though? The 15-year mark, uh, from how others might view that, seems sufficient enough. Why extend it to 20?
5: I agree that 15 is sufficient. That would have been my vote. But um, we go through the process. We go through the process of hearing it in the House, hearing it in the Senate, and that
3: was part of the compromise. Have there been any testimony uh, in support of the legislation back when it was first heard during the regular session before and even now as we go to overwrite from those who were affected by this legislation, those folks who specifically were able to give their story about how this would give them another chance?
5: Absolutely. Lots of it. And, and if, you, if you hear about... Uh, if, you, if you get a chance to talk to Walter Lomax and people like that who served many, many years, many of them who were found to be not guilty... Um, So if you get a chance, talk to those people and even victims, Um, victims and victims' families. They're not monolithic either. Some of them believe in forgiveness, believe in rehabilitation. So um, people who say that we should cage people forever are,
3: are not the majority. Well, that seems to be the modus operandi of the United States as it is now, but Maryland seems to be turning a page, hopefully a step forward. For those justice advocates who are looking to make the experience of those incarcerated citizens more humane, can they be optimistic that in the upcoming legislative session that Maryland will go back to criminal justice reform, to prison reform, or do you feel as though the work is done there?
5: Absolutely
3: not done. (laughs) No way is it done. We have
5: so much work to, do, work to be done. We think we're going to concentrate this, this next
3: session on juvenile justice reform. Lots of work to be done there. What's one of the things, if you can share with us now, about the initiatives or efforts in, to attend to juvenile justice that you all are looking forward to? How, how about juvenile interrogation? The, the ability of a police
5: officer to interrogate a young person, especially now that we're putting them in schools, even elementary schools putting police officers in elementary schools. The idea that they could actually interrogate a child without a parent or a lawyer. That's
3: that's what that's remarkable. And there's opposition to it. Mm. That's remarkable. Now, Delegate, we know that when we talk about criminal justice reform, prison reform, other things of the nature, that disproportionately black Americans will be affected by this black Marylanders in your example. But if I'm not mistaken, this will also have exponential effects for all Marylanders, all Americans, if we can attend to this on a national level as well. Is that correct?
5: Absolutely. I I hope that Maryland Maryland is setting an example for the rest of the country. It can be done. Um, we don't have to be the largest black legislative caucus like we are. You don't have to have one of the baddest speakers, one of the baddest, fewest black speakers in the in the country to, to take on this leadership. It is um it is the time now, and it's time for strong leadership. And I hope We're setting the pace for everyone
3: else. The delegate is referencing, of course, Speaker of the House and State of Maryland, Adrienne Jones, a black woman speaker, uh, and making history in um, both regards, if I'm not mistaken. So we're grateful for her work. Delegate, is there anything else you would like the audience to know about the work that you guys are doing to ensure more humane conditions and treatment for those incarcerated citizens?
5: Well, we're, work- we're working hard and we're listening to the community. That's what I want you to know. We're listening to the community. We're listening to advocates, the ACLU, I mean, people that have been on the ground for a long time waiting for the opportunity to have some bold leadership. And we're, we're moving forward with, with that. I, I um, encourage everyone to stay involved
3: and get involved. Delegate, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you joining us with this conversation. I do want to go to our panel, make sure we hear from those on our panels. We have some folks who have particular experience in law and the legal space. Our good friend, A. Scott Bolden, former chair of the National Bar Association PAC. We also are joined by Eugene Craig, the CEO of X Factor Media, and Brianna Cartwright, a political strategist. Brianna, I'm going to start with you. When you hear about legislation or activity of legislatures such as this, are you encouraged that as a nation that we may be moving forward to treating incarcerated citizens in a more humane fashion?
4: I don't think that we we actually are. I'm glad that Maryland is fighting hard, and I think we have a long way to go um, overall as a, as a nation, um, and I hope that we do better. Um, we still have death row um, as an option, um, which we've seen um, time and time people get it wrong, um, and so I, I think, I think we got a bit of ways to go, but we can keep trying.
3: Now, A. Scott Bolden, our good friend, tell us about what folks in the... how this might change things in the courtroom for folks. Uh, Those lawyers who may be defending some people that may be looking at life in jail, does this change the calculus at all of how defense attorneys might go about doing
6: their work or even prosecutors? Uh, I don't think it changes how they go about doing their work. This happens... This action by the Maryland state legislature to leave it with the parole and not having the governor have veto authority over a recommendation from the Parole Commission doesn't affect what goes in the courtroom. It will certainly affect what happens after a conviction, after an appeal. And that is simply that after 20 years, the application to the Parole Board and their recommendation or what they determine, all the action will be with them. And so you'll have certitude depending on how many votes you have on the parole commission in Maryland, you'll have certitude that if you convince them that you should be let free or to go free, you don't have to worry about appealing and spending money and appealing to the whims of the governor. There's a reason there are only two other jurisdictions now that give the governor veto authority, uh, because it doesn't make sense for the king, if you will, to be able to be all-knowing and know more than the parole board who have experts and who are on the ground on these issues. And so Maryland's Maryland's not an outlier in regard to this decision. They are an outlier in regard to criminal justice reform and the sweeping legislation they passed last year that this country and the feds have not been able to get done. So uh, bravo to the Maryland state legislature. Look for more to come from them. They've got a large black delegation And uh, they're using their power, their Democratic power, to get it done.
3: Eugene, I want to get you in real quick, but I've only got about 30 seconds, and I apologize for boxing you in. So many people like to run on tough on crime. Might this be a political issue in the upcoming Maryland statewide elections? They'll hold elections in 2022. Do you see that this is now going to become a political football?
7: law at this point. Um, You know, the the, GA overruled the governor's veto. It's settled law at this point. It's just a flat implementation.
3: Well, I told Eugene I had 30 seconds, and Eugene was kind enough to hold it to 15. We appreciate you. We'll come back to our panel with just a little bit more. We've got much more coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered streaming on the Black Star Network. We'll be right back.
0: Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where you going?
1: Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
3: Testimony in the trial of a former Minnesota police officer charged with killing Dante Wright got off to an emotional start. Tried to get away. Katie described what she heard he when her out. son Dante called her after getting pulled over by police. She.
5: Um... I heard the police officer come back up to the window and was, he asked Dante to step out of the vehicle and Dante asked for what am I in trouble and I heard the officer say You need you to just put the phone down step out of the vehicle and I'll let you know as soon as you step out of the vehicle and then at that time um, I heard the phone either being placed on an object whether it was you know, dropped on the floor or placed on the dash, I'm not sure, but I could hear the phone being put down. And then I heard... And I heard the officer telling Dante, no, Um, and I heard Dante say, no, I'm not, don't, it sounded like he said, don't run. Dante said, no, I'm not, and then... I heard them say, somebody tell somebody to hang up the phone, and then that's all I heard.
3: That's just a portion of the gut-wrenching and truly, truly heartbreaking testimony that we have From that trial. Now, later in the show, we'll be joined by journalist Georgia Fort, who was in the courtroom today, and she'll be joining us from Brooklyn Center. But let's go back to our panel for a moment. I want to start with Eugene because Eugene, I didn't give you the opportunity to go long on what we had before, but would you be kind enough to reset for some of our viewers just exactly what the tragedy of Dante Wright is? Because quite honestly, there are so many. Incidences of police violence that result in the murder of African Americans, that some folks sadly might have forgotten just exactly what this case was. Would you be kind enough to do that for us? That's
7: exactly what it is. I mean, this this is a situation where you have, you know, overzealous police officers, you know, with firearms that probably are not properly trained to use or should not be happening. that resulted in another death of a, of, of a black man and here we are here with a mom crying with a mom emotional in the stand recounting what probably what were her last words with her son uh, i mean it's, it's you know look we're in a pandemic right now and this is an epidemic that that existed before COVID. um and and you know at this point it's just about injustice for dante
3: That's a perfect phrasing, Eugene. Thank you so much for the injustice for Dante. Now, if I'm understanding correctly, we have Georgia Ford. So, Georgia, thank you so much for joining us here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go straight to what you experienced there in the courtroom. What was it like? We heard some of the gut-wrenching testimony, but how did it both pull at the emotion of jurors, but also at their at their reasoning?
2: Absolutely. Well, I was in the courtroom on the first day of jury selection. I'll be back in the courtroom on December 15th. And so they're rotating journalists out every few days. Uh, But today I was uh, watching through the live stream on our channels and it was it was heart wrenching to see Katie Wright take the stand this afternoon and talk about her memories of her son to hear her detail The moments leading up to him leaving, the last words that he spoke to her, Katie talked about uh, that she was babysitting uh, Dante Jr. uh, that afternoon and was trying to get uh, Dante to not wake him up as he was leaving to go get a car wash. And these are moments, I think, that most of us can connect to and relate to. And so it was very challenging uh, to to hear that. Um, but we also learned a lot today throughout the testimony, some of the evidence that was presented, um, especially the crash that happened. I think a lot of people were unaware that the vehicle drove off and crashed into another car uh, shortly after the shooting uh, occurred. And we also saw the moments after um, Kimberly Potter shot Dante and her response to that as well.
3: Now, Georgia, Black Americans, by and large, are far too keen to this. Our antennas, our sensitivities are heightened. But white Americans often get fatigued at Black injustice. What From your time there, when you were there during jury selection, and from what you could see on the stream about how jurors were responding to this information, how did it seem that the jurors in Minnesota were responding?
2: Well, it's tough to say, but we do know that this is a jury that's definitely not very diverse. Um, and so... Uh, that fatigue that you talk about is a real thing during the jury selection process. We heard uh, some of the jurors say that they had done their own research and they were already aware of Dante's criminal history. And so, again, uh, when you talk about the racial undertones of this trial, it is it's a real thing uh, because Dante's not on trial. Kimberly Potter is on trial. And so the overemphasis by the defense on his criminal history Uh, these are details that really had nothing to do with this uh, traffic stop. Um, Of course, we understand that he had this this warrant and uh, the officer who took the stand today detailed uh, his decision to arrest uh, Dante Wright. And we saw what happened there. But uh, we we need to be clear um, that the 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 trial process is is more about Kimberly Potter and it should be less about Dante Wright.
3: Now, if I'm not mistaken, Officer Potter is acknowledging that she made a mistake. But is the defense looking to get her exonerated on account of the fact that it's a mistake?
2: You know, we'll have to see how that plays out. But we do know at this time Um, that at this time uh, that, yeah, they are aiming to try and get her cleared of all charges. And when you look at the laws, um, they're going to try to say that this type of force was uh, justified. They're going to try to say um, that in this instance, uh, and we heard a record of this um, in the opening statements where the defense Earl Gray mentioned that uh, Tim Gannon is going to say in this situation where you have a person who has a uh, warrant out for their arrest and they're trying to flee that that would be an instance where um, using your gun even would be justified. So this trial at this point I think could really go either way um, and I know we're just a few weeks past the written house verdict where we saw this 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid get off um, on on two murder charges, right? And so in this instance, it could go either way. The former um, chief of police for the Brooklyn Center Police Department is going to testify in favor of Kimberly Potter. Um, And so with all of that said, it's really up in the air which way this trial is going to go at this point.
3: Georgia, just based on your experience, and I know that you're reporting, you're in Minnesota to cover this, so you don't actually, may not have the firsthand experience, But Minnesota has been the site of everything from the murder of Philando Castile, obviously George Floyd. But that's also been a place that we tend to think of as a progressive or a good, pleasant place, a place that's not as hostile to black Americans. What has been the energy in and around the Minnesota and the Minneapolis-St. Paul area vicinity since you've been there, since you've been reporting?
2: Well, I think you described that sentiment very well. When I lived in the South, um, I had people tell me all the time, oh, you're from Minnesota, there's no racism up there, but I think the world has start started to see that it's quite the opposite, it just looks different. There's not the Confederate flags flying uh, but the systematic racism is deeply enrooted in every facet of life from banking. We just had a, a horrific story come out about um, the uh, b- banking while black um, and, and the police stops. When you go back to uh, Philando Castile, uh, who was killed uh, back in, I think it was 2016 in Minnesota, they said that that brother had been pulled over 38 times for driving while black. So, yes, Minnesota has predominantly been known uh, as this Minnesota nice, uh, you know, culture. But in fact, it's not that way for all people, especially when you look like you and I.
3: That sounds heartbreaking and heart wrenching. The place where black folks try to go and find some sort of a haven. It's not a haven at all, regardless whether we're talking our banking or our policing. We're going to let you get out on this. What are some things that those of us who may be watching the case and watching this unfold, what should we keep our eye to to ensure that justice does indeed prevail?
2: Well, I would tell people to go ahead and take a look at the jury instructions. Those have already come out, and they're, it was very odd. I thought that one sheet of paper that was by itself separate from all of the other jury instructions, on this one sheet of paper, it clearly said that just because someone has um, had an, a fatal accident doesn't mean that they've committed a crime. And so the fact that that has already been drawn out in jury Uh, instructions, I think, is something that people should be paying attention to because it's not just about the testimony. It's not just about the facts that we're going to hear on the stand. It's also about the instructions that the judge gives to the jurors to interpret the law. And, And that is really what's going to determine the outcome in this trial.
3: I love that you framed it and phrased it in a way that calls on us to turn our attention to the jury instructions, just because there was an accident, an accident that took a human being's life does not mean there was indeed a crime committed. And that's what I think folks are saying when they talk about systemic racism, if if we can all observe that the same way. Georgia, folks want to follow you because you're on the ground, you're there. How do they follow? How do they find you? How do they keep in touch to continue your fantastic reporting?
2: Absolutely. You can head over to georgiafort.com. I was just out here this evening there was a protest about 100 people out here demanding justice for Dante Wright and standing in solidarity with uh, his family. We live streamed that on my social platform. So if you head over to the website, you can find those links and follow along, not just what's happening inside the courtroom, but what, al- what also is happening in the community.
3: That is Georgia Fort, independent journalist in Georgia. I know it's cold up there. It's December. It's in Minnesota. freezing. Get somewhere All of my warm.
2: equipment is, is freezing and everything's you, shutting down. You took so. your gloves off
3: to help accommodate <laughs> us to make sure we can get the shot right. We are forever yes. grateful. Go be somewhere warm. Georgia's going to go get warm me. and we're going to take a break. You stay right with us. We'll be right back after this break. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Mm-hmm.
6: Are
0: the
8: stars of night Alexa, play our favorite song again.
2: Okay. I only
1: Once upon a time there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. (laughs) But really... Who has time for that? Let's go. I'm myself. I'm myself. She ordered herself a ladder with Prime one day delivery myself. and she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares?
2: Prime changes everything. Hello, everyone. I'm Godfrey, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, and while he's doing Unfiltered, I'm practicing the wobble.
3: Grace Brown was last seen in Kenner, Louisiana last week on December 1st. The 14-year-old is 5 feet 7 inches tall and weighs 170 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. If you have any information on Grace Brown's whereabouts, please call the Kenner, Louisiana Police Department at 504-712-2222. We'll date the number one more time. 504-712-2222. Now, there's been so much going on in Washington, D.C., and we're excited and excited to tell you about it. Excuse me. So much going on. Excited to tell you about it. I want to bring back our panel. We have a Scott Bolden. We have Bianca Cartwright. We also have Eugene Craig with us. Now, guys, the House passed the bill paving the way to increase the federal debt ceiling. Now, take a listen to this real quick. Take a look at this real quick. The bill would provide a one-time fast-track process for the Senate to raise the borrowing limit with a simple majority vote. It would allow Democrats to pass the bill without facing a Republican filibuster. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer agreed on this one-time process. The legislation requires Congress to specify the exact dollar amount of a new national debt ceiling. Bianca, I'll start with you. Every year, it feels like, particularly when there's a Democratic president and there's Democratic control of the Senate, we have this huge hubbub over fighting over the debt ceiling. Is there a macroscopic lesson we can learn to help avoid having to routinely go through this? Or is this just our fate?
4: I'm not sure, but I'm hoping that we work it out. Um... It's, you know, it's a shame that it's been played politically over and over again. It's really getting tiring. We saw that, you know, everybody, um, all the Republicans, but one— Followed green's initiative and reckless veto voted to shut down the government and so we've been seeing republicans over and over again trying to use this tool as um a way to get what they want politically to shut down the government and everybody's up in arms and it's it's really you know it's it's really unfortunate because you know we're talking about government workers being furloughed our brave men and women in uniform um being forced you know to to uh, continue doing the jobs without pay. You know, millions are dependent on the federal benefits. And so we keep twisting them in a wind uh, as Republicans use it as a ploy to try to get what they want. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Democrats are in charge right now um, and so we can, we can get it done. We, we'll see tomorrow or Friday um, how it's going to be in Senate. We need 10 um, Republicans to um, vote for it, um, and it's it's a very contentious thing. We've been talking about it on the Hill all day, um, and there definitely has to be something better, and I think a lot of the Americans um, are tired of um, Republicans using this as a, as, as a twist tool.
3: Brianna, before I go to A. Scott Bolden, I do want to let you know I apologize for calling you Bianca. If you want to throw it back to me and say, okay, Roy, at any <laughs> moment, I absolutely deserve it. I'm My <laughs> sincerest apologies for calling you beyond. Uh, Brother Bolden, I do. I am curious, though. We only seem to have this issue when Democrats are in charge. Is there... I, I'm not being naive when I ask this, but I sincerely believe, what is the reason for this partisan chance or divide where every time we have a Democratic presidency and also Democratic Senate control,
6: now we have to have a whole issue about the debt ceiling? Well, I, I'm going to give you some pushback on that, because under Trump, Trump actually had the government shut down because he wouldn't agree with the deal for with the, with the Democrats. In fact, he announced he had no problem shutting the government down because the Democrats were obstructionists. I'm not saying Democrats or Republicans are right or wrong. I'm saying they both keep spending money. And the reason you need to raise the debt ceiling as a matter of the legislature is because you don't want the government to run out of money. But they're running out of money because the Republicans certainly wanted to give tax relief to their constituents to raise and, and, and therefore blowing a hole through the um, budget ceiling. And then you have the Democrats who certainly want to work for the people and do for the people. But all of these items that we keep passing, both Democrats and Republicans, cost money. And we keep printing money, but we don't have uh, enough money to cover the basics from the federal government, which is a multi-trillion dollar uh, budget or financial operation. And so both sides really need to stop overspending. That's the first thing. You know, under the Democrats, under Clinton, you had a balanced budget, and you had reduced the debt in this country significantly, and then it's significantly gone up since uh, Bill Clinton's years. So both sides need to stop spending. But in the interim, politically, neither side can afford for the government to be shut down, because we've seen the public reaction to the government shutting down, and it's been negative, but whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. And so this legislation will pass. They will raise the debt ceiling, but they're only raising it on a short-term basis, and that's because they can't politically stomach right continuing to overspend and keep the government open so you have these continuing resolutions you know
3: i you you went there and i wanted to push back on you but you know i don't know if you know the way television works there was a magic voice in my ear that told me we need to go to break so i won't start this fight with you right now (laughs) eugene i'll come back to you in one second we're going to take another quick break because we have more stories on the other side you're watching roland martin unfiltered streaming on the black star network
8: Alexa, play our favorite song again.
2: Okay. I only...
0: Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language, and she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Oh, no punches. I'm real old revolutionary right now.
2: We support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Uh, thank
9: you for being the voice of Black America.
7: Yo, it's your man Cole from Blackish, and you're watching...
6: Roland Martin, unfiltered.
3: Stay woke. It's been a couple of weeks since Republican Representative Lauren Boebert made Islamophobic comments toward Representative Ilhan Omar. Today, several Democratic congressional representatives led by Ayanna Pressley of Massachusetts called for Boebert's removal from congressional committees. Representatives say a message needs to be sent to show others that this kind of behavior is unacceptable.
11: Hate and credible threats that have been directed at Rep. Omar and her staff. Words have consequences. We must acknowledge that and respond with action. We've introduced this resolution today to do just that and to send a powerful message to every Muslim and every marginalized person who has ever questioned their place in this country or in the halls of power. We see you. You belong, you are powerful, and you deserve a life free from fear and filled with dignity and love. How we respond in moments like these will have a lasting impact and history will remember us for it.
12: If we're serious about tackling the systems of entrenched white supremacy that stain every fiber of this country, then we need to start right here, right in this capital, We need to start with this lying, Islamophobic, race-baiting, violence-inciting, white supremacist sentiment-spreading, Christmas tree-gun-toting elected official who is out here straight up calling her colleagues terrorists. Lauren Boebert is a danger to this country. She is a danger to the Muslim staffers that work here. She is a danger to her fellow members of Congress. Removing her from her committees is the least leadership can do to protect every employee, visitor, and member of this body.
3: And a black woman or women shall lead the way. Eugene, let me bring in the panel. I want to start with you because I didn't give you the time to get in when the t- when I wanted you to get in just now. Oh, look,
7: uh, look me, me and Scott can have me, me and Scott can have a discussion about uh, the penny plan or a fair tax, <laughs> or flat tax, or balance in the federal budget, or you know, hey, you know, there's a eight hundred billion dollar defense budget, the reason why we can't pay for anything else. Um,
3: you, you, you know what, Eugene? Scientists. I think that is a conversation that we're going to have, and we definitely yeah, will know, have I that. Know. I'm going to, listen, it's so, so it's KBR, Next, man. the next break That's we have, right. Eugene, I'm going to text Roland, tell him to go ahead and take one of those beautiful trips to Ghana, and me, <laughs> you, and Scott, and, you know, Brianna, if you want to join us, I'm going to get your name right every single time if yeah. we're going to have that conversation. But uh, in all seriousness, I do want to pivot yeah. back to this I'll, question
7: I'll, of... I'll say this, this right. Listen, mm-hmm. um, Democrats need to understand... Um, Yes, these comments have to be dealt with, um, but I think the right steps is to put proper pressure on McCarthy and the caucus, the Republican caucus, to deal with them. Um, you're but, moving but, down.
3: But, but Eugene, real quick, real quick, what do you do when they they're don't not dealing with them?
7: Well, what you do, what you do when they don't is then you have elections and you defeat these people. But the thing is this: Eugene. the thing is this, you're walking down a slippery slope when when your only resolve is to remove someone from committee. The thing is, the Democrats are not going to always have the majority. And last thing you want is a vengeful Jim Jordan, a vengeful Speaker Donald Trump, a vengeful, you know, Louis Goldmark coming in and saying, oh, hey, we're going to pluck AOC up off of her committees because we don't like her. We're going to pluck her out. We're going to essentially go after the gang one by one because we don't like them. Eugene, you do know, that's like, this is a double-edged sword. And I'm just saying, Democrats need to be careful with it. Eugene, I just uh-huh.
3: want to say, I don't want to, I want to make sure for our audience but it, I I think that you
7: have to be careful what the remedy is.
3: Eugene, I want to make sure for our audience that we're not equivocating, right? Because merely removing somebody from committee because I don't like them is significantly different than implying a sitting congresswoman right. is a terrorist. It, and I, think, I do think it we need to address that
6: difference. her
3: a terrorist. Imply a
7: terrorist. Didn't imply it. My is that. You have to you have to figure out some other tools because the thing is this a power of Congress is a power of Congress and how one decides to wield it is up to that person and the thing is Democrats are not going to always be in the majority and last thing you want is somebody that's vengeful using that same power well, for, for actual malignant purposes
3: Brianna I want Brianna please get in on this I saw you charming
4: yeah Yeah, so, and I know that Bolden can back me up on this. I think that it's fine-tuning the words, right? Um, You know, you're saying because she, you know, she was called a terrorist, right? She could be called a lot of things, um, and that necessarily would not, um, We, we, you know, we could do name-calling and that wouldn't remove it. But at the the heart of it, I think that we're not focusing on is that she's dangerous in in herself, right? She thought even after the insurrectionists, Um, came and so forth, and and, and people actually died um, on January 6th, that she should still be able to bring her gun to the floor, right? So we see things over and over again that exhibits her behavior is a threat to the people that she's working with, right? And, you know, her, um, it, her, and and Marjorie Taylor Greene—they don't belong there, right? And they keep on peddling like conspiracy theories that you know, nine eleven and Parkland school shooting—you know—were were, were were not were not true. And they they go on Twitter and they mock the Parkland survivor. And so we see that there's been many issues, and we see that. Um, that 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 you know they're still trying to run on the tails of Trump, right, and one thing that you I will agree with Eugene just this time is that you know we need to have many ways in in fixing this one, yes, the resolution, but two, voting them out um, and that there's many of them that we need to vote out, not just lauren um but you know we can say McCarthy, we can say as I said, um Marjorie, you know like. There's yeah this rhetoric can't keep going on.
3: Yeah. Now, Scott, now I want to get to this real quick because having congresspersons who say things that are patently false or or silly or even playing engaging in conspiracy theory is nothing new. We know back in the 1800s that Jacksonian Democrats came in with all kind of foolish things. Robert Potter was one of the early predates of uh, what we now have of Marjorie Taylor Greene and others. But the... I I think this reveals the limitations that one group of people, people who believe in justice, have in trying to ensure that their their adversaries, if you will, their political opposition, is dealing or playing fairly, because the the refrain that we've heard from both Eugene and Brianna is to vote them out. But quite honestly, the people who these elected folks represent want them there. So what, then, power do they have if we have... Uh, if, what, then, power do, do those who are in Congress who believe in justice have for these folks who are just clearly playing an unjust and dishonest game? Well, well wait clear, a minute, though. But Eugene... One
4: second. I want to clarify. I, it was a one-two punch. I think not just voting. Yes, out, yes, absolutely. That, yeah. yeah, I can Eugene see that. Eugene just said vote. I had the one-two punch.
3: <laughs> no. I can, you, are cor- you are correct. Eugene is the only one who said voting. But, uh, Scott, go ahead. I don't mean to uh, run over your comments. Well,
6: well you, Eugene is just dead wrong. He makes out like this is a political disagreement between a Democrat and a Republican, and it is not. These are words that are deadly with the backdrop of the January 6th insurrection and the congressperson from the GOP who supported those uh, insurrectionists and who are opposed to re- even recognizing Biden and who are calling these insurrectionists heroes. This is a this is an elected official uh, who Brobart. Uh, who didn't just say that Ileon was a terrorist, but went on to say that she didn't have a backpack, so I think we're safe, suggesting that somehow that not only was she a terrorist, but she could pack weapons or a bomb in her backpack. She went on to accuse her of being un-American, even on a call where we... where the Dems went to McCarthy and asked him to intervene and do something, and all he did was asked her to call and have that conversation with Ilion. This is not a political disagreement. These are words and attacks that can be deadly because those words are the same words that we heard from Donald Trump and others before the January 6th insurrectionists, and those followers went and attacked the Capitol People die because of those words. And so don't tell me that we have to be careful with removing her. We've tried... Democrats have tried everything else but to remove her, and if the Republicans don't do their job, then the Democrats, when they're in office, are going to do their job. And getting her removed from committees is the maximum effort that the Democrats have. And be honest with you, I'm not worried about the Republicans removing any Democrats over some political disagreement, but you don't... You won't have Democrats... Accusing uh, any Republican uh, uh, of, of being a terrorist, or because they were white, accusing them of being Ku Klux Klansmen. So, so Eugene, just stop it. It's it's not comparable.
0: Look,
7: it's, Scott, the thing is, the, the thing is this, right? The next, if if you you are mistaken, if you don't think that if, if Kevin McCarthy was Speaker. But Ella Omar made her comments about Israel that they would not have ran to remove her from her committee seats right
6: away. That was political thing speech.
7: This cannot, what I'm, I'm saying is about that attack. that's going to be the tick for tack when majorities change. So yeah. what I'm saying is that you have to figure out another remedy other than disenfranchising the But role there
3: is no other Scott, remedy. Eugene, we got to hold you right there. We're going to hold you right there because I do want to get to an important piece. We're talking about voting folks out, and you wrong. can't vote folks out if you don't even have the opportunity to vote. So black women, leaders, and allies hosted a Freedom Walk, a march to advocate for voting rights and economic justice. Now, the walk began at the NCNW, the National Council of Negro Women Headquarters, and ended outside of the Supreme Court. Melanie Campbell, president and CEO of the National Coalition of Black Civic Participation, led the walk today, and she joins us from D.C. Ms. Campbell, thank you so much for spending time with us. Give our audience an overview of what exactly the walk was about and what you all were there to say and to do.
9: Uh, thank you so much. I was just intrigued by the conversation you all were having here uh, before, um, and and really how we have to push back on all of this this madness we're living through right now. But we've been uh, pushing uh, with a strategy that is inclusive of what we did today, inclusive of you know uh, direct action and and protests, but also you know engaging uh, the elected officials uh, in Congress and as well as the White House because we really. Um, are in a uh, state of emergency when it comes to our voting rights. And so we've been building coalitions uh, across the gamut um, over the last five months. And so we uh, started these freedom walks uh, to just kind of really bring home um, that our freedom is at stake at the end of the day. And so um, we uh, marched from uh, the Dorothy Irene Height Building um, National Council of Negro Women. We partnered with with them to build this Black Women Allies Coalition over the last few months, and we marched to uh, to the Supreme Court to, to dramatize uh, uh, with the backdrop backdrop of the Supreme Court that has failed us, and we and we and we challenge the the Senate as a focus that they need to do their jobs and pass a voting rights. Today, we uh, hearing about the debt ceiling. And they're trying to find ways to change the rules uh, in order to deal with the debt ceiling. So why is it so hard to just change the rules to deal with constitutional rights? Now, so...
3: Miss Campbell, I'm confused because one of the things that I imagine some of those of the more radical community of African-Americans are saying, which is, wait a minute, if we're told the vote is our leverage to assure justice, but we're denied the vote, then what are we left to do? Now, the demonstration seems powerful, and it's tons of folks that are supporting it, but is there any other word or any other wisdom or advice that you offer those who see themselves stuck in this conundrum? We have to keep fighting. History is a great teacher.
9: And so, um, this part part of the fight is necessary, Uh, although it's very... I will say, honestly, it's very frustrating, but I know that we have to keep this on the front burner. We have to keep building coalition um, and using all our tools in the toolbox. And we have to challenge these elected officials. And as I said earlier today, our friends and our foes um, until we win, because the option of not having our voting rights protected is not something that we can allow to happen. Um, is it, is it uh, and so th- and that's where where I stand. And so we, we pledged uh, in July that we would keep coming back to the Senate. Uh, You know, I've also been involved in meetings with Senator Manchin and meetings, I mentioned at the White House meetings with senators and really pushing, but also pushing, I said we can walk and chew gum. So we also pushed for the passes of the the bill Back Better and and try to connect the dots. So people generally who are not in this on an everyday basis understand why it's so important. And, and that voting rights does equal economic justice. We need build back better. We need paid leave because our, so many of our people have been impacted. Women especially are not coming back to the workforce uh, because of a, a need to have uh, things like paid family leave. Um, and, and that's due to COVID, you know, and this pandemic we're still in. So we're going to keep fighting, brother. We, You know, uh, I'm a little worn down, but... Uh, but we, we're we not tired. We're not tired yet. And we're going to keep doing it. And I'll be out there with Reverend Barber on Monday, uh, More um, repairs of the breach. Uh, we're going to be out there with him and supporting. And we've been doing that in you know, all different groups, uh, not just what we do with Black Women and Allies, but it, wherever there's a, there's a place to show up to keep fighting for this till we win. We had Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee join us today and Congresswoman um, uh, Terry Sewell and, uh, um, and Congresswoman... Uh, uh, Bonnie Watson Coleman showed up. You know they were in there fighting. Uh, we had sister uh, uh, here from California, Secretary of State, and we had af- activists from Georgia and and uh, that sh- that showed up in Michigan, and we're all fighting.
3: You know, and now we're gonna Ms. fight before we win. Ms. Campbell, we, we appreciate and understand the impetus to fight, but let's be honest and let's have a family conversation. Sometimes we have those in our black community that are, we love our loved ones, our grandmas, our grandpas, our uncles, our aunties, who say, well, you can't beat up on so and so because they're on our side. But even those on our side aren't delivering the things that we need in order to ensure justice. How have you been advising, and how do you engage in those conversations that say, don't push too hard against perhaps President Biden because yeah. he's better than Trump?
9: Well, um... You know, Trump's not in office. you one president at a time. So I've been in, in meetings where we've challenged them and we'll keep doing that. Um, uh, we had a meeting with Vice President um, Harris uh, with a group of black women... Uh, one day, Monday? Monday, and really kept challenging her in the role she's playing as a part of that administration, uh,
3: to just use and all the. Tools what was her response, Miss Campbell, when you guys challenged her specifically about not delivering on voting rights of all things? Yeah, how did mean, she respond? I
9: mean,
3: her response is they're going to do more,
9: and so I, that's what I want to hear. You're going to do more, and so and you can say it, and then of course we need to see the action that goes with that. And is so there anything that doing more? Issue, spe- go ahead. I'm sorry. I think the biggest issue. Um, the biggest issue is to, to to do all they can to push and and get the victory in the federal uh, with the federal legislation of John Lewis, you know, voting rights restoration, and deal deal with that. Uh, but there's also other things that can be done to help make it easier for people to vote, and that's all fine. But the voting rights, and and because we have redistricting, and, and I know I'm getting into sausage making of all of this stuff, but you know, it's about power, and so. Uh, and the lack of being able to build black political power in this country is tied to uh, us having fair opportunity to vote, elect, get elected, all those things that that um, the, the voting rights um, um, law uh, with enforcement powers uh, brings us. And so that's the that's the, that's where laser focused yeah. on that, which is why we keep going to the Senate. But I've been at protests, yes, ma'am, uh, with, um, with uh, Ben Jealous and the League of Women Voters, you know, at the White House, right. Recently. So, we, so it's all of it. It's not one thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
9: Um, it's all of it.
3: Now, Ms. Campbell, you because you were in there with the vice president, and this is... So, so many of us don't have the opportunity to hear from the vice president, so we appreciate you being there. When they say do more, what does do more look like? It seems like there's some clear legislation yeah. that needs to pass and that we haven't gotten... it. What is the do more?
9: I mean, do more is, is both uh, uh, pushing for... Uh, the President of the United States is the De facto leader of the Democratic Party, right? Do more is yes. Keep pushing. That's where you know the, where where I am about it is push to get the friends, if you will, to change the rules. I mean, I've I we've been saying that for five months. You know, do whatever you need to do. And I brought up what's going on with the debt ceiling because that's exactly what we're talking about. Get that done. And I know that you have you know Senator Manchin and others who and not just them, but others who don't want to. Uh, in the filibuster we keep saying amend it reform it do whatever you need to do with the rules because you're not talking about what's in the constitution you're talking about a rule that can be changed especially when you ha- don't have a, a a party and I'm not being partisan it's, it's just the reality of what's happening that uh has decided that they will shut down the system of government in order to stay in power that's what we that's what we're up against this is not a normal fight. We could act like it is, but it's not. In my lifetime, I'm not seeing this this level of 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 um, partisan uh, determination to really uh, actually change the the system, if you will, um, in order to stay in power. And that's what we're, we're up against. And that's why we have to use all uh, the the mechanisms we can. And that's what we're left with, you know, is to push that. But then it's also things like what you can do. Uh, through the agencies we gave when we met in july we actually gave them uh recommendations of what they could consider to do through through a housing and urban development as an example because you have uh what you call motor voter help america vote act things that people can do to make it easier and get good information what you can do through department of corrections for returning citizens as they come out uh what you can do through department of education for students so there's other kinds of things that deal with access to the ballot, but then you, of course, talk in voting rights to deal with the the, the power dynamic uh, as it relates to the power
3: of the vote. Ms. Campbell, we hope you and others continue to keep up the fight. We encourage you. We support you. And as you know from your relationships with Roland, whether he's here or not, you will always have a platform yeah. here on this space whenever well, you're you fighting. One last platform. note before we let you go. We're going to have to, you're going to have to talk to your friends in the White House and in the and because when folks say that you can just change a rule and ensure justice, and folks are refusing to change that rule, I hope that your friends there understand the righteous indignation so many of their supporters have, because they will not ensure our voting rights.
9: Oh, oh. And and, and at the end of the day, it's the holiday season, we said don't be a Grinch. Pass voting rights.
3: Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to take one more break before we get into some more exciting stories and important information for you here on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming on the Black Star Network.
8: Alexa, play our favorite song again.
2: Okay.
1: Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure, it's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry, I used to hate parallel parking. Me too.
2: Hey.
0: Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision, an SUV built around you. All. Of
1: you. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But <laughs> really? Who has time for that? She ordered herself a ladder with Prime one day delivery. And she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime
0: changed everything. It's time to be smart. Roland Martin's doing this every day. Oh, no! Thank
5: you, Roland Martin, for always giving voice to the issues. Look for Roland Martin in the
0: whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again. The
2: video looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. We support this man,
8: Black Media. He makes sure that our stories
2: are told.
0: See, this difference between. Black Star Network and Black Owned Media and something like CNN. I got to defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of the Black Star Network. I am
3: rolling with rolling all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own. A black man owns the show, folks. Black Star Network is here.
0: I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. I'm proud. Rolling was amazing on there. Stay Blake.
9: I love y'all. I can't commend you enough about this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having.
0: Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. Mm. You can't be
10: black on media and be scared. You dig?
3: Hi, I'm LD Barge. Hey, yo, peace world, what's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. The HBCU Community Action Development Committee is using comedy to teach HBCU students about financial literacy. Funny Money, the college tour, brings together financial experts, influencers, and comedians for a conversation about financial wellness. TV and radio personality Big Tigger hosts a nationwide tour, and he joins us now. Before we even get started, Tigger, let me tell you that what we have in the prompter TV and radio personality – don't do no justice. Listen, you're talking to <laughs> one of the millennials that used to race home after class in undergrad to make sure that we saw the basement when it came on. You're talking to one of the jokers who knew you when you were right up the street in D.C., 95.5. So it's great, great, great to have you here. Tell us about this nationwide tour and how it will be helping HBCU students.
8: Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Thank you for the flowers. Um, I, I've been uh, blessed to be a part of this Funny Money Tour where they combine... Uh, comedy with a lot of uh, financial literacy conversations. I am the host of the most. I glue the whole situation together. Uh, this will be my third uh, HBCU that I'm attending. Uh, I couldn't make one of the dates, but it's been epic to pull up on these campuses with these young people who have varying concepts and uh, varying uh, understanding of money, uh, what to do with money, how to spend money, how to save money. Uh, and then we give them all this financial literacy game from some 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 people um, from Wells Fargo, uh, some other people like my man Larise Purnell, They pull up and they give them you know give them some jewels, and then uh, because I'm there and I've actually thrown away lots of money and learned from my own lesson. I give them some of my game, too, like things that I've, some of the hard lessons I had to learn with my own dough. Uh, and then we punctuated with the comedian. It's been, a, it's been widely well, uh, well-received. It's been kind of cool to be back on these HBCU campuses interacting with the young people.
3: Now, Tigger, I heard one uh, economic activist one time say there's nothing that poor people can't fix if you just didn't give them money. And so sometimes <laughs> one of the pushbacks to questions around financial literacy is, well, what good is being literate if I don't have the money to do this with? How do you all attend to that concern while also teaching them, as you alluded to, not to blow it if and when you get it?
8: Well, even when you ain't got it, you can be smart with it. And that's, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about is budgeting. Uh, how to, how to, if you got $5, how can you stretch $5? One of the stories I like to tell while I'm on this tour is my father, when I was like nine or maybe 10 or. Uh, we had this social experiment. (laughs) He took me out one day to have lunch at a sandwich spot and he showed me the receipt. And then the next day, we went to the grocery store and bought everything that we was going to buy for the same sandwich. And he was like, see, we spent less than we spent at the sandwich spot and we can eat for a week. Uh, So it's different things like that. Uh, A lot of different jewels and nuggets in there. Uh, and, And again, if we're not talking you know, thousands and millions of dollars with these college kids because they're not on that platform yet. But a lot of them have big aspirations and dreams to be entrepreneurs, own their own businesses, start a business, do other things. So learning some financial, um, just some things that you can learn, some nuggets and some basis, you know, some things like just smart things. Like one of the things we talk about is paying yourself first. You get a paycheck and we all got bills. We all got things to do. But the most important person and thing to pay is yourself first. If it's just $5, you put it away, don't touch it unless you need it, then you always have some kind of, you know, savings or something. So it's just little things that that can help you build upon. It's not going to get you all the way to, you know, Bill Gates or (laughs) one one event. But it's definitely some things that you can learn, uh, even uh, that can help you out from day to day.
3: You mentioned that you dropped in on a couple of college campuses. Share with us which HBCUs you were fortunate enough to get a chance to visit and engage with with those young people.
8: We went to Miles uh, in Alabama. We went to Lincoln uh, in, out in uh, Pennsylvania. And tomorrow I'll be at Bowie State. Shout out Bowie State. Uh, there was one in Houston that I didn't make, um, but I was uh, yeah I had a conflict uh, of schedule. But it's been fun so far just to be on these different campuses and talking with these kids. And this is the first year that I've been attached to it. And hopefully next year we can make it a bigger and better program, um, because I really enjoy not only interacting with them, but bringing some 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 knowledge to their life on, on how to, you know, handle their money better.
3: Tigger, I know you're active on Twitter and social media, so I know you see all the PWI versus HBCU conversations back and forth. You are an alum of the University of Maryland College Park, if I'm not mistaken. I feel like you partnering up with these HBCUs is equivalent to that infamous picture of the Bloods and the Crips holding up a bread and blue bandana <laughs> side by side. Tell us about how valuable and important it is, despite you having attended a PWI, to do this work on HBCUs. Again, not neglecting our black students at PWIs, but the value of reaching out to to these students on these campuses.
8: I mean, I didn't go to HBCU. I hung out at a lot <laughs> back in the day. I went to I did go to University of Maryland, College Park. Shout out to all my turfs out there. But we hung out at Howard a lot. Their homecoming was lit. Um and, and as I've grown, and you know, it's just an opportunity to give back directly to my community, uh, right where it is, at you know, some of these universities where we're not only curating but catering to their enhancement and growth as young individuals into uh, uh, adults, um, and as lots of things happen. I, I live in Atlanta now, and the AUC is one of the most prominent, you know, HBCU situations down here between Morehouse, Spelman, uh, Clark Atlanta, and Morris Brown. Like they're like all right together. So um, since I've been here, I've been even more indoctrinated into the HBCU culture and found different ways to give back to those kids because. I mean, there's no reason why HBCUs should not be on the same level as PWIs. Our culture is the predominant culture of everything. Um, And, you know, it's just for the simple fact that we don't usually have them coins to get to these PWIs. Even though these HBCUs ain't cheap either, it's always... (laughs) Uh, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more affordable. So hopefully with these classes and people learning how to do with their money and them leveling up as adults and then continuing to get back to the HBCUs, um, it'll just make them bigger and better uh, institutions, which will make even better and- bigger in- individuals.
3: i got another question for you, and then I'm going to bring our panel into this. We're joined by A. Scott Bolden and Breonna Cart- Cartwright. But another mm-hmm. question for you before we go. Tell us about the comedy part, because if somebody comes talking to me and telling me funny money, I'm turning my head the other way because I don't want no parts <laughs> of funny money. That's how you get locked up. That's how you get jammed up on a whole bunch of things I don't want to be a part of.
8: Well, the funny part, I mean, again, in most, in most things with young people, you got to trick them and teach them something. The funny gets them in the door. Oh, they get to see somebody that they know is funny. It's gonna be fun and entertaining. There's an entertainment aspect to it. And while you're there, you trick them and learn them something. Uh, and it's been it's been the reception's been pretty good. Uh, we had a lot of fun at uh, Lincoln last one that I did. Uh, you know, it's been bigger every time that we've done it. But again, you you put them in front of the you know people that they are familiar with or look up to, or it's gonna make them laugh. And then you also give them some game at the same time. And it's usually kind of a, gre- a great mixture.
3: Breonna, I'm going to come to you because you work on Capitol Hill, or you've had experience in and around Capitol Hill relating with those folks and whatnot. From what you're hearing about this, does this seem like something that can grow into a public-private partnership that Tigger and others can expand to campuses all across the country and even to high schools, quite honestly?
4: Yes, I think that it's awesome. Um, thank you so much, Tigger, for doing this. Um, that was going to be one of my questions to you in in your game plan of, you know, if you're wanting to just concentrate HBCUs or how you do target um, uh, PWIs. And as you said, there's a lot of uh, us Black people who have attended PWIs and would love to hear it too. Um, so if you could maybe go in a little bit about your... Ideas or dreams to so expand right now, or where you're in on that process, or how you? Well, I'm not.
8: I'm it. technically not responsible for putting it together and structuring it. I was just hired as a host, but now that I'm involved and we've had conversations, uh, we'd love to see it. The partnership with Wells Fargo is an amazing thing, um, and we'd love to see this expand and be a bigger situation. Uh, when you make it big, if there's more investment from the public sector, I mean, from the public or private sector, um, then you can do more promotion. You can get bigger names. You can make it more of a thing uh, and and have these kids come out and not only learn something, but also be entertained. Um, so I, I, I think it's a, a viable, a viable program. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with it. And again, you know, afterwards, I've had kids say, oh, I've never heard that before. You know, I learned that from, you know, and then we, uh, the one we did at Lincoln, David Banner was there. It was me, David Banner. Uh, like, David was dropping all kinds of gems all over the place. And, you know, David Banner, mm-hmm. my guy. So uh, it was a lot of fun, very informative, and I'd love to see it expand.
3: I don't want to start so any did... trouble, Brianna. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brianna. Go ahead.
4: <laughs> I was going to say, did, you, did the schools contact you? If a school is interested in doing this, um, how, what would be the way for them to, to have it occur?
8: I actually do not have that information. As a gentleman named Carl, Carl (laughs) Whittingham. Uh, I don't want to give out his number, but uh, I I believe that uh, hopefully the people here uh, have the information back there. That was one of the questions I am not prepared for. (laughs) But... I know if you go on my page, or I think we have an Instagram page for it. You can learn more all about it right there. And now you're going to have me look on the thing, live on the situation. Don't don't even worry about looking, Tigger, because we
3: we don't even worry about looking. We're going to pivot back to the HBCUs. Brianna was trying to rep for the PWIs, and we love them. We respect them. But that ain't who we're talking about now. We're going to go to our brother from the old guard of the HBCUs, our brother Scott, who uh, attended both Howard and Morehouse, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct, Scott?
6: What do you mean the old head from...
3: The old guard. Not old head. The old guard. And, Scott, listen, I'm a Howard alum, and I know there don't come no more bougie HBCU alums than Morehouse (laughs) folks and Howard folks, so if we can't be self-aware and be honest right here on the Black Star Network, then we ain't gonna be honest nowhere amongst each other.
6: I got more hair than both of y'all. Just remember that. You hear me? Don't start start this shit with me now. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, Tigger, t- t- good evening. Been a fan of yours for a while. I, uh, I'm actually um, a secretary to the board of trustees for Morehouse. So uh, love to hear more about when you're going to be at the AUC and uh, whether you're going to do it uh, collectively with the AUC students or go to each one. It would seem to be more convenient to go to e- go collectively. But be that as it may, uh, in the presentations that you've been hearing and when you've been entertaining, uh, have there been any discussions about cryptocurrency, which it seems to be the rage? My daughters are 26. I have twin daughters. And they've, got me, they've been talking to me to death about cryptocurrency and erythium and or Ethereum as well as Bitcoin. And I've, I've invested some money just to see what it's going to be. And that's the rage with young people and the millennials. So can you comment on that a little bit?
8: There's definitely been some crypto uh, conversations. Uh, you like myself, I'm just getting up to speed on all of them, but we're behind. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, um, very much. <laughs> we haven't ha- we haven't had a specific. Uh, I, I, there have been some questions about it, and I think Dave David Banner had the most to say about it in the two experiences that I've been through. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm learning. I'm definitely learning from lots of different people about it. And they they are they are absolutely uh, definitely well interested in how it's moving, what it's going to do. Uh, us old folks, I'm, I'm gonna put myself in there. <laughs> <laughs> we we kind of like when, old folks. <laughs> where can you like we we used to tangible money, like we like yeah you know, we say where is this money actually where is this <laughs> coming from? Uh, which was the hard part for us from a conceptual yeah. standpoint. Um, but it seems to be a viable platform. I wish I would have bought Bitcoin when it was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars less. I think one is like $50,000 now or something like that. Um, But the athletes and
6: entertainers, the athletes and entertainers now are signing big money contracts and demanding it be in crypto. Uh, Our young people certainly, that will certainly get the attention of our young people, and that's why I asked the question.
8: Yeah, it's definitely something that we should, as the program expands, uh, it should definitely be a whole thing about crypto. Uh, And if you're interested in more information about the program, it's called the Our Money Matters program. I know they do have an Instagram. It's Our Money Matters, the number two. Uh, And that's where you can contact them and get more information. Uh, But at the same time, uh, yeah, no, crypto is definitely something that we should absolutely focus on moving forward. We, we've touched on it we haven't really dug like it's not one thing yeah. that we really dug into and particularly we kind of do an overview of all kind of things uh finance budgeting credit cards uh yeah. sa- you know saving yeah. money uh stuff like that so but it's it's been well informative and some things that these kids have never ever been taught because they haven't even had any money to you know learn uh-huh. uh, you know what I'm saying it's it's been yeah. i think important
3: Tigger talk to our audience about why it was so vital that you all go to college campuses and reach out to the young people. Now, we know some of us are returning students. It took me six years to get a bachelor's degree. But for the most part, we have 18 to 21-year-olds who were there. So why was that particular audience so important for you to be in front of, for David Banner, for some of the comedians that you're working with? Why them?
8: I mean, they're the future leaders of all things us, you know, and You know, unlike us, most of them have grown up with privileges we couldn't even fathom growing up. Uh, While there's still no cakewalk for people of color, it's definitely a much gentler kind of world for most of us. Um, And at the same time, you know, preparing them to go out in here and and not allowing them to, you know, fall in the same mistakes that we did, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, doing things that, you know, just out of, because we, we, you know, uh, as a people, we got some of the largest buying power in America. We just forget to spend it with our own people. Uh, um, so we, we've talked about all these different things. But mm-hmm. I believe arming the next wave of you know, leaders, uh, the next business owners, the next financial people, and mm-hmm. the next family, uh, heads of family, is the way you know, that you start from there. And then they can you know, hopefully each one teach one and we can continue to level up as a community.
3: Absolutely. Now, we appreciate the work you're doing here, but we'd be remiss if we had the guy from Rap City on <laughs> with a sweatshirt reading Rap City <laughs> and not ask about Rap City.
8: So, Rap City raised me. Yes, Rap sir. City
3: raised <laughs> I don't know if those are for consumer. Matter of fact, we don't want everybody to have them because when I walk around with them, <laughs> I want to be exclusive. Tigger, make sure that you hang tight after we go to break. Me and you, we're going to exchange some things. We're going to work some things out. We need to make sure we get that. But what can folks look forward to you from you? What are you working on personally, both uh, in your in your social justice ventures like this and your professional ventures? Where can folks see you, those of us not in the Atlanta area?
8: Uh, if you're in Atlanta, uh, wake up with me every morning on V103. Uh, ATL's number one for hip hop and r b Big Tigger Morning Show, uh, we're getting ready for the new year, trying to reload for 2022. Uh, if you're not in Atlanta and you would still like to listen, we have an app, it's called Odyssey. A-U-D-A-C-Y. Uh, you can listen there. Uh, all things Big Tigger, you can follow me on my Instagram, all my social media is the same, at Big Tigger Show, uh, except for the morning show, which is Big Tigger Morning Show. I'm currently the official uh, uh, DJ in-game host for the Atlanta Falcons. I am the PA announcer for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, And if all things happen appropriately, something like, or something, either Rap City itself or something like Rap City will be back early 2022.
3: So, you know, back in 2003, when a young Ray would come back in from class, he would look at Rap City (laughs) and say, well, you know, by 2021, Tigger will be doing something else and I'll go ahead and host Rap City. So we're gonna go ahead and flip this for a quick. I be the host, you be the guest. You know we okay. can afford any good soundtrack or any good bed music. But if you got four, <laughs> eight, sixteen of them off the top of your head, well, you know, we it's always a pleasure to hear you give us whatever you got.
8: Uh well, let me show off a little tablet that the good Lord gave me. You already seen the hoodie, it said Rap City me. this is how it goes down. With no exception, I beg your pardon, but right now I'm rolling unfiltered with Roland Martin. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, sir.
3: Yes, sir. I know my friends who are watching this clip are waiting for me to freestyle with you. And to that, I will say, when we bring back Rap City, I'll be sure to guest host for you. You can come in and sit in. And me and you will happily go back and forth, Big Tigger. Thank you so much. Is there anything else before we let you get out of here that you would want our audience to know either about the funny uh, HBCU tour, Our Money Matters, anything else that you want them to know about how your work you're doing and how how they can support?
8: Uh, Again, just go check out the Instagram, Our Money Matters, the number two. Uh, To everybody here in the esteemed panel and yourself, please have a happy holiday. Y'all be safe out here. And uh, happy 2022 on the way.
3: Shout out to my sophomore year roommate, Deron. I told you I'd be on TV with Big Tigger one day. (laughs) Bars! (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take another break. We've got so much more coming up here on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back.
0: Are the
8: stars tonight. Alexa, play our favorite song again.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Merrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like really loves.
1: Hi, I'm Vivian Green.
3: Hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond. And you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. It's the holiday season and it can be stressful trying to figure out what to cook, where to go, and the most biggest stress, what presents to buy. But what about those who are already dealing with anxiety and depression? Quite a number of us are. This time of year, it's called the holiday blues. Licensed professional counselor Robin May is here to give us some tips on surviving those holiday blues. Robin, thank you so much for joining us here on Roland Martin Unfiltered.
11: Well, I am honored to be
3: here. This conversation is so important. Yeah. I'm grateful. Uh, So initially, people who are carrying with them whatever type of anxiety, depression that that they live with throughout their year only gets amplified in this particular season. Are there any unique tips or strategies different from what folks may be doing all through the course of the year that you would advise in this period of time? You know, what's interesting, even if it's
11: someone who has never um, dealt with anxiety or depression or they don't normally deal with anxiety and depression, they, too, can be victims of this during this time. So I want to speak to anybody who, like the young folks say, are feeling some kind of way. I want to speak to everybody. One of the things that we have to understand, and I want y'all to write this down. I want you to tell it to your friends, tell it to your mama and your sister, too. All of us in every area of our life, whether we know it or not, are trying to do one of two things. We are either trying to repeat what we saw growing up or we are trying to get as far away from what we saw growing up. And no other time than like the holidays does that show up. So If your mom and them used to make sure that the house was decorated the day after Thanksgiving, I'm over here telling my business, then of course, you wanna make sure that you carry on that tradition because it was so much fun for you. Or let's say for you growing up, the holidays were really stressful because you always had to travel. Well, you might be saying, I'm not doing all that traveling, we're not putting that pressure on ourselves. So again, we're trying to repeat or get as far away from as we possibly can. So the first thing that I wanna encourage encourage everybody to do is to really, number one, anticipate what they may be feeling and experiencing around this time. Listen, holidays can bring up very surprising emotions. And so I want you to get ahead of this now. When I give that suggestion, people often think that I am saying that I want you to anticipate being sad. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying I want you to anticipate what you are longing for for the holidays, what normally comes up for you for the holidays, and put a plan of action in place ahead of time, okay? So the second thing I want you to do, now this one is gonna be really important and huge because one of the things that we wanna do y'all is we wanna run away from tough emotions. We don't want to acknowledge our sadness. We don't want to acknowledge feeling anxious, but I need you to do just that. I need to you to acknowledge that you might be feeling something and you might be experiencing something and I don't want you to do the, I'm just gonna not think about it strategy. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna share my crazy really quickly. And I wanna be clear, when I talk about my crazy and anybody else's crazy, I'm not talking about mental illness. I'm just talking about sometimes the way we process. I wanna share mine so that other people can feel comfortable sharing theirs. One of the things I know for me is I have my three daughters and I love them so much, but I'm dealing with some teenagers over here. And so I know I had to anticipate and acknowledge that sometimes their response to the hard work I put in is very frustrating to me because they can be very chill. So I want you to acknowledge what you might be feeling. Also, For many of us, we have lost so much in the last two years. And I want you to even acknowledge those loved ones that you may be um, grieving during this time. Unfortunately, this is the first Christmas my family and I will be without my father. I am already acknowledging that and trying to put a plan in place for how we can honor him. So the first step, I know I keep talking, I'm going to be done. The first step (laughs) I want you to anticipate, I want you to acknowledge, and here's the last one, I just want you to accept the help in whatever way that is going to come. This is one of my uh, pulpits that I stand on, and it is this. We were never created for Isolation Island. We were created to be in community, to be in connection with other people. Now, that doesn't mean you got to be in connection with 20 people, but I want you to accept the help in whatever way it comes. Listen, if your mother-in-law is coming in town, and she wants to help out with the dinner, go ahead and assign something to her. If your best friend wants to help and just take you on um, a getaway really quickly just to get out of the house,
3: accept the help, however it comes, so that you don't have to do this by yourself. So I'm curious, then, when you talk about acknowledging and accepting, When we have the instance where our body and ourselves don't want to do a thing and when we do it, it feels uncomfortable. I don't like doing it. I'm only doing it because I was watching Roland on the Black Star Network (laughs) and the sister came through and she said do it. So I did it. But I don't like my mother in law or I don't like engaging or I don't like acknowledging this feeling. Is there any advice for what we do when we are doing the thing you asked us to, but it don't feel right to do it? Okay, so the first
11: thing I'm going to say is this. I'm going to give you a little counseling one-on-one, and you don't even have to pay a copay. The first thing is our feelings are not right. Our feelings are not wrong. Our feelings are just there to give us information. That's why I started out with anticipating and acknowledging. We have to acknowledge the feeling. We have to call it. Say what the feeling is. That's the first step. But once you've acknowledged the feeling, I now need you to set some boundaries in place. Because if we're not careful, we'll go down a spiral. So if you know that, you know what, this is what I start to say to my family and my children. I start saying, hold on. I'm at capacity. Mm. I want you to know when you are at capacity mm. and you can set the boundaries. If you are going, you know, I do a lot of work with couples and I give my couples some strategies ahead of time. I have the wife give her husband a keyword that she can say that nobody else knows what that keyword means, but he knows it's time to wrap it on up. So make sure you are setting the boundaries with those who you are doing life with and who you're doing holidays with so that you can have that time to just be. I just talked about the fact that we're not called to live on isolation island, but that doesn't mean that we never need time just to be, be by ourselves. So you might have to carve out some time where you just, again, accept, acknowledge, and anticipate what you are feeling and allow yourself to feel that.
3: So one of the things I'm going to bring in is our friend, A. Scott Bolden, because Scott's not what we would call old, but he may have more lived experience than some of the rest of us. <laughs> Scott's my man, so I get to pick with him. But so, so Scott, when you're doing listening to what we're hearing here and you're thinking about the experience of being a parent in the holiday season you just mentioned in the last segment, your 26-year-old twin daughter, what, what, are we, what from that you're hearing is resonating or is sounding like it's an affirmation of some of the things that have helped you move through? through various holiday
4: seasons? Balden, you're on mute.
3: Okay, I think Scott might be on mute. What? Oh, there we go. I'm sorry. Okay. They,
4: um,
6: it's not just holiday season. I think the advice and counsel from the doctor could be implemented year-round. Um, I-, I think about my daughters and other family members. I've done a lot of work in this space. I've been married twice, and I certainly pick juries for a living as a a white-collar criminal defense lawyer, and I'm by no means perfect, but I'm certainly coupled with my spirituality. You know, holidays can be tough. I lost my dad in in August, and I've been in a good space with his loss because he was very sick, and so he's in a better place. Um, But I I think, I guess my question, uh, doctor, is for those of us who, you know, or have family members who are really suffering from, for lack of a better word, demons, if you will. Mm. You know, we all have demons. We all have to confront them, right, and address them with professional help or otherwise. But if we're not willing to acknowledge, you know, the stories we've told ourselves as we grew up and, you know, came from different families and what have you, um, how do you convince those who certainly need professional counseling and help, or suffer from issues from the way they grew up, or bad relationships with mothers and fathers, or brothers and sisters, to confront and address those issues so that they can uh, proceed in life in a more wholesome, positive manner. Is that too heavy, or...?
11: No, no, it's not too heavy at all. I almost feel like you've been listening in to some of the sessions I have with clients because one of my favorite statements is to say to people, what is the story you are telling yourself? So when I'm hearing the question... What I'm hearing is how do we convince these people that we love? I can see that you're struggling. I can see that you need help. How do I convince this person to face that so they don't have to continue to do what I call white knuckling through life? Can I tell you one of the most powerful ways that we can help is simply through example as a mental health Mm -hmm. therapist, myself, and as a life coach, people are often so surprised when I say, Oh, I need to talk to my therapist. They are shocked. Mm. So that's example by itself of me showing that it is no stigma anymore. We are getting rid of the stigma, talking very openly about our own struggles, making sure that we are helping them understand that it is nothing wrong with turning inward so that you can heal. I think when we live by example, that is the greatest lesson that we can give. And then... The other thing I will say to that is giving people permission. And that can sound strange, particularly when you're dealing with adults. But you would be surprised how ingrained messaging is, especially in the African-American community. And so when we can give people permission by telling them, hey... You know what? Life isn't meant for you to struggle. That isn't what you were created to do. Give them permission to turn inward. It will be mind-blowing and life-changing for them.
6: It can be tough for them, though, especially if they're not um, communicative, if you will, or if Mm -hmm. they're self-medicating those stories with alcohol or drugs or other forms of ways to get get away from those stories they've told themselves. So, uh, you know what, God bless happy- you and happy holidays. Thank you for for answering my question.
11: No problem, and I wanted to say very quickly what happens with that again. A lot of times we think change, my husband and I pastor a church here in our local area, and we a lot of times we think change happens from the pulpit. <laughs> Change doesn't happen in that way. Change happens in, co- in connection, in relationship. So again, if we can make that connection, if we can pull somebody aside, if we can speak to what it is we see, listen, some plant the seed, some water the seed, but we have to trust that God is going to give the increase. So you might just be planting a seed. You don't know who else is going to come back and water that seed. Change will come.
3: Yeah. Brianna, I want to bring you you in. Um, Brianna, real quick, I'm curious what you're hearing that perhaps may have spoken to you from either a past experience or something that you think about. And even if you don't have any firsthand relation, is there anything that you're hearing third party and thinking, man, this is some useful information to share with others, to take back to organizations you may be a part of or whatnot?
4: Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to dig a little bit deeper. I thought that was awesome. When you said that working with your partner by saying um, a word that's just between you two. Yeah. Um, when that happens, for example, say it's butter or whatever it is. Um, and <laughs> you realize uh, you're saying it, is it, is it the fact that that partner draws out right away, even though maybe their family feels like they should stay longer? Um, how in that moment when you say, Hey, I want to leave. And the other person's like, um, I want to stay. How do you during the holidays, um, kind of get to a happy, uh, a happy place for, for, for both people.
11: So remember one of the first things that I said was that we must anticipate. The anticipation Mm -hmm. allows us to create a strategy. And so I want to be very careful. The two of you, the couple, needs to have a clear strategy. Because if I come in saying, Butter, and my partner is just standing there looking at me, we're going to have a problem. And so we want to talk about (laughs) in advance what is it that we are expecting from one another. And that's where... um, um, looking out for one another can come into play. So here's a perfect example. One of the things that often happens is we go to um, the the mother-in-law's house and the wife is ready to get on up, going back to the hotel. She's ready to get in her own space. She's ready to have her time. where well, she and her husband have already discussed, okay, babe, when I say this word, you know it's time for me to transition. I'm not gonna have an expectation that you respond the same way I respond. I'm just having an expectation that you're gonna have my back. And so it could be something as simple as, all right, y'all, my wifey has to leave. She has something she has to go do. Whatever it is, you all talk about that ahead of time. If that doesn't doesn't work, if that is not as cordial as you guys can be, I just need you guys to sit down and anticipate what normally comes up. Let me tell you what's so interesting about us as human beings. Even the most spontaneous of us are really patterned People. And what I mean by that is often if we just slow our lives down, we can find the patterns that have happened. If you have had one holiday together, you know what normally comes up around the holiday season. So it's important that the two of you talk about it and on one accord before you go. Don't try to get on one accord while
3: you are there. It's awesome. That is fantastic. Robin, is there anything else you want folks to know to take away from this uh, this season of of the blues that may visit them? Any way that they can find or follow you after that, where in the event that they miss you here or don't get all they want, perhaps they can find you on a social media platform or contact you, not for counseling services, because that costs, we recognize, but at least be able to keep in touch with what you're doing.
11: So, yeah, there's something I really want to make sure that we understand, that the holiday blues are just that. It can start around Thanksgiving and it can continue well past Christmas into January. And that is very important that we recognize the difference between holiday blues and clinical depression, holiday blues and mm-hmm. um, an anxiety disorder. We want to make sure that you are not dealing with something that is um Uh, pervasive, and that if it does begin to continue, if you find this carrying longer than January, if you're still feeling bad in February, I want you to seek support. And then it's also important to understand, if you have, this is very important, if you already have a diagnosis and you already know you've been dealing with major depression, anticipate ahead of time, because we have found that that depression increases during the holidays. Find ways to carve out space that you can care for your soul. You Mm. can connect with me on Instagram at RobinMayOnline.
3: Find ways to carve out space to tend to your soul. Thank you so much for that word. Coming up, it is our Tech Talk, sponsored by Verizon. Did you know that you can support HBCUs with your spare change? We'll tell you how right after this quick break. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Stay with us
1: oh that spin class was brutal well you can try using the buick's massaging seat oh yeah that's nice can i use apple carplay to put some music on sure it's wireless pick something we all like okay hold on what's your buick's wi-fi password buick envision 2021 oh you should pick something stronger that's really predictable that's a really tight spot don't worry i used to hate parallel parking me too hey
0: really outdid yourself
1: yes we did the
0: all-new buick envision an suv built around you all of you betty is saving big holiday shopping at amazon so now she's free to become bear hug betty settle in kids you'll be there a while who are you going
1: you know how some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it i don't think so verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one you break it We upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. (laughs) Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better costs less than you think.
3: In today's tech talk, we are highlighting an app called Get This HBCU Change. In case you didn't know what time it is over here on the Black Star Network, to explain how this works is joining us is Steve Canal. He joins us from New Orleans, Louisiana. Steve, first things first, I'm a stickler for people's names. Did I get the name right? C-A-N-A-L Canal. Can help me out.
10: I'm in New Orleans, baby. It's Canal. Canal. canal See,
3: that's why I wanted to ask first. I already <laughs> embarrassed myself with our sister Brianna. I can't do it twice in one show. <laughs> they ain't never going to have me back. Steve, tell us a little bit about what you got going on and about how the app works and just what you think that our viewers should know.
10: Absolutely. HBCU Change is here to make a difference for our colleges and universities across the country. Uh, First off, it's available on iOS, Apple, and Android. Uh, It's easy. It's super easy to, to, to leverage. So you download the app, you connect your credit card or your debit card, and then you select the HBCU of your choice. And then from there, just go online, you can do some online shopping, you can go to the store and it rounds up. So as an example, you go to a coffee shop, you buy a cup of tea, it costs $3.50, You, uh, it'll roll up to the nearest dollar. So that 50 cents would then be transferred over uh, to the HBCU of your choice. Uh, so it's pretty easy, it's very simple and the math just makes sense. Um, you know, I could talk about you know how this came about because only about 3 to 4% of alumni are giving back to public hbcus private hbcus is a little bit higher about 7 to 8% and when you think about pwis they're giving on average about 20% so you can see that there's a lot of work that needs to be done for hbcus to get that support from their alumni
3: and so when we go in to choose our HBCU, are we stuck with the one that we choose initially because I'm an Howard alum myself, but I live right up the street from Morgan State University in Baltimore and I'm a West Side citizen in Coppin State. So I might want to show some love over to those Baltimore HBCUs. Would I have the opportunity no, ha- to do that?
10: Absolutely. And just for just to make it clear, this isn't just for alumni. So this is for, you know, alumni and supporters. You know, I went to a PWI, I went to Fordham University, but I've been giving back to HBCUs consistently for over 20 years. I have an affinity for it, a passion for it. I create programming for it um, in in addition to HBCU change. So when you're on the app, you're in full control. You decide which HBCU you want to give to any day, and you also can turn it on or turn it off to your liking as well.
3: I know we got on our panel with us an HBCU savant in Scott, and we also have a, a ally, we'll call it my Bloods and Crips ally friend in Brianna. We're holding up the, the, the mutual side flag. Brianna, you're a PWI alum as well. So what do you, when you hear about this, what do you think about how PW, black PWI alums, let's be clear, can involve themselves and support the efforts of HBCUs?
4: Yes, it's awesome to be able to engage. And as he... Uh, emphasize that just because you don't go to HBCU doesn't mean that you can't be involved with the community and helping uh, HBCUs and donate so I do think that's a very easy option um, to give back um, incrementally Mm. versus all at once Um, I am interested in him expanding more upon because he made a comment where he knows that um, private HBCUs um, have a a bigger endowment uh, than public HBCUs. And I just wanted to touch on maybe his belief on the difference of why there's that gap between um, private alum HBCUs and public alum HBCUs, and if there's anything to play in um, – The debt that we occur as students after in finding the job that there's any correlation he thinks and and, and not their alums being able to give back
3: yeah Steve any thoughts on that about uh, what some of the disparities are go right ahead
10: yeah, absolutely. And just, just for clarity, when I was saying the 3 to 5%, that's the giving of the students up, you know, back to the HBCUs um, for the difference between public and private. And to answer your question, absolutely. You know, um, when you think about, uh, and just to take a step back, the reason why we didn't, and, and the reason why, <laughs> the data behind it is very interesting, right? One of the main things that stood out when we asked alumni why they didn't give back, number one was they were never asked. And number two was they didn't feel like they can give back enough to support the HBCU. So when you're seeing you know, big corporations giving million-dollar checks, $3 million checks, they don't feel that their $1,000, their $500, or their $100 would make a difference. So we're here to set that straight to let them know that every dollar counts. As an example, if you, if you go to a, uh, a database of a university that has about 10,000 alumni, and they average between $54 and $87 a month of giving back, right, that uh, adds up to about $540,000 a month, and that adds up to $6.5 million annually. So your $50 to $80 a month can make a huge difference if collectively the alumni body or supporters are giving back consistently.
3: Yeah, Steve, when you first started rolling off those numbers there, I was thinking about that $1,000 or 500 and I said, ooh, that sounds a little steep even. In, that sounds a little <laughs> steep for me, even the $1,500. But the point about the 50 or $80 perhaps a month or things of the sort, that makes a lot of sense. Now, Scott, you, you serve as the Secretary of the Board of Trustees of Morehouse University, if I'm not mistaken, as we just alluded to in another segment. So you also get a firsthand understanding of the activity or inactivity of alumni donations on this matter. How do you think the HBCU Change app will be able to benefit universities like colleges and universities like Morehouse and also some of the more public ones, some of the uh, the ones that aren't always on the top of everyone's tongue whenever we mention HBCUs. Thank you for making sure well, you took us off mute this time.
6: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, my brother, I, I just want to thank you for HBCU Change uh, app. I think you're absolutely right. I think the numbers for giving back are a little higher because uh, I'm seeped in it as Secretary to the Board of Trustees for Morehouse. But you're, it, it, it doesn't matter. They're a little higher compared to predominantly white institutions of higher academic learning. The stats you gave on on why they don't give is is absolutely correct. But here's another reason why I love this app. Because on top of what you said about that $50 to $100 adds up, there's another reason why this app is so powerful. And that's because when morehouse or howard or harvard when they when they have big donors or foundations give them big money or very wealthy people the first question they ask the president of the school is what's your alumni giving percentage and if that alumni giving percentage is is high 20 percent or more they're more likely to give and it'd be open giving versus giving to a building or giving restricted funds, if you will. And so if you if you give $10 a month, you're adding to the percentage of alumni that give that helps the institution get a larger donation from a foundation or a wealthy individual. Even $10, because that contributes to the percentage. Um, we certainly tell our alumni that, and we pound at it. But it doesn't really get through here with this app that you've gotten. It answers all of those questions and helps all of these institutions, uh, HBCUs. And so I thank you for that. It, feel free to comment on my observation. But uh, that's a real issue. They can help bigger do help the school get bigger donors by just giving ten dollars or twenty dollars. No, you hit it right on the head, and that's one of the reasons
10: why we developed the app as well as for that engagement, because we know when that percentage goes up, it exactly. definitely widens the eyes of corporate America to want to give back, because that's the difference, right? If your own student body isn't giving back, why should I? Right? Exactly. So when that, when that exactly. engagement percentage is going up and they're seeing that people are donating at a high volume, regardless if it's $5, $10, $100, $1,000,
6: it counts, and it makes a difference. And then the then the larger donors will give unrestricted funds, which you can put into your endowment, which is another measure of financial stability, academic stability, when the regulators come and review it. So, for example, most historical black colleges don't have the endowments of majority institutions. I got that part. But one of the problems that they, why they don't have it, is because they get a lot of, they get a lot of uh, gifts that are restricted versus unrestricted. That's changed uh, in the last now, year. Now, Scott, real quick, let
3: me interrupt. Scott, define restricted versus unrestricted so those who might want to contribute can know how to navigate that language and landscape.
6: Well, well, if it, it, restricted funds means that a large donor or a foundation is giving for a specific reason or purpose or for building or for an endowed chair or I'm going to give because I want to give to the law school, or I want to give to the accounting class. It's restricted. We have it, but we can't use it for operations, administration, or things like that, which HBCUs, HBCUs really, really need. Unrestricted giving is the best giving, because then it's up to the Board of Trustees and senior management at the institution, they can do what they want with it, which means they can put it into infrastructure. They can put it into upgrading the 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 technology at the institution. They can spend money on a new stadium or a new dormitory.
3: It's unrestricted. And the best thing about that is that there's somebody to hold accountable When the money ain't serving the students. Steve, before we let you get out of here, before we let you get out of here, tell folks where they can find more information about HBCU change. Tell them whatever you want us to know before you get out of here, because this is an important thing that as folks make their budgetary plans, because we had Tigger on talking about finances earlier, when they make their budgetary plans for 2022, we want them to include HBCUs. Tell them about it.
10: Absolutely. You can go to hbcuchange.com and you can get more information on the the app. You can also download the app on uh, the Google Play Store or the iOS uh, Apple Store uh, to be able to download the app. And it's super easy. Create a profile, upload a card, and you'll be able to start donating back to HBCU of your choice.
3: Fantastic. Steve, thank you for your work. Brianna, thank you for letting me get your name wrong and still loving me and being a part of the gang truce all the same. Scott, thanks for being my man since way back on uh, TV One's News One Now, back in the old days. (laughs) We used to have wear stuffy shirts and ties back there, but black folk, we get to be free now and move our arms and wear our sweaters. And above all, thank you for watching. This has been Roland Martin Unfiltered streaming on the Black Star Network. Thank you to all the wonderful production staff that have helped shepherd me through this journey. Ro- uh, Roland is still out, so we'll have another guest host tomorrow. I'll be back here with you guys on Friday and in parting. Let us remember the words of the Yoruba proverb that if we stand tall, it is because we stand on the backs of those who came before us. God bless. Good night.
8: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at Chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
0: VGW Group. No purchase necessary.
3: Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We are the voice of
6: NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing
2: Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville. Talladega. The Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last-lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice
9: of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network.
0: This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore.